Hey everyone, welcome back to Porcelain Peak. I'm your host, Anthony Perez. This week I am again joined by John Brasher. Hey John, how's it going? Doing great, how about you? I'm doing well, man, thanks for asking. Once again, Randy is out with business. He is in the final stages of finishing up Black Star. So, if you haven't checked that out, go ahead and check that out. That is also on Apple Podcasts and soon to be on Amazon. And in the meantime, John and I promised you some movies, so we're going to get to that in a little bit. But before we do, we wanted to give some shout-outs. So thank you, Nick66, for your five-star rating and review. Appreciate that. And if you'd like to get a shout-out on the next episode, feel free to head over to Apple Podcasts, unless you're already there, then rate, review, and subscribe, and we will give you a shout-out. All right, so let's talk about some horror news. Something that I came across this week was that Halloween was released. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah, we went out and actually checked this out on opening night. Uh, we have some opinions. We'll talk <laughs> about those at another time. Um, we are working on a bonus episode that is purely about Halloween. So that should be coming to you guys soon. All right, so then along with that, we have some box office numbers for Halloween. So Halloween cost only $10 million to make, which for movies is chump change. And this weekend alone, worldwide grossed $91,801,000. So that's almost 10 times its budget. Yeah. That's pretty nuts. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's the Blumhouse formula. Mm-hmm. Low budget, high profit. Yeah, which, I mean, so we won't talk about how we feel about the movie. Like I said, that's strictly going to be for that that bonus episode. But as far as, like, the box office performance is concerned, like I said, Blumhouse kills it when they when they come in with this, this low to high kind of uh, format. But as far as this movie is concerned, I want to say that it's doing pretty well stacked up against other horror releases for this time of year or other releases in general for this time of year. And it, our theater was packed. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a full house. I, I was really upset that people showed up like five, 10, 15 minutes into the movie, but it was a packed house. Yes. And along with that packed house, there were plenty of new trailers that I personally hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. Same here. So talk about a couple of those. One of the ones was, one of them that I that stuck out to me that we hadn't seen yet was uh, The Curse of La Llorona. Uh, I believe this one is going to be a James Wan production. He's not directing, but he is uh, helming, essentially, you know, providing the uh, creative background for it. It looks interesting. The They showed a pretty extended shot. It was all completely continuous. It should be interesting. I'm I'm excited to see it, so we'll see... If it gets any early buzz or anything like that. But the first trailer, pretty solid. At least someone in our party jumped. Yeah. <laughs> and then another one that we watched, I know you were excited about this one. I'm indifferent, was Happy Death Day to You. So I am so jazzed about this. I didn't <laughs> know it was going to be a thing. I knew they – there was always potential that this might have become a sequel. Man, they uh, – don't see the trailer if you haven't seen the first movie because it gives away the entire concept and gives away basically the ending of that movie. So don't see the trailer if you haven't seen the first movie. Go watch that instead. That movie is a constant fun thrill ride. It isn't super scary, but it it's meta in a way. It's not over-the-top crazy like Scream is or some of the other really, really meta horror films, but this one does like to poke fun and it doesn't take itself too seriously which was something i was worried about when we first went in to go see this last year i was pleasantly surprised by that movie i enjoyed it thoroughly i'm really excited for a sequel yes and for those of you that aren't familiar with that that's the one that's essentially groundhog's day but with a slasher and it like it makes fun of that yeah and and that's like it it makes fun of itself and it keeps itself you know real as far as it taking some things from some properties and kind of mashing them together. And like I said, I, it worked for me. I enjoyed that movie thoroughly. I don't know how well a sequel is going to work, but I'm excited to see if they've got a good idea. Me too. As much as I initially wasn't super into that movie, I feel like that would be one that upon rewatch I'd probably really enjoy. And so I'd want to check it out again. But 
It's so ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> For the rest of the show, we're going to do our discussion. And then, as promised, I'm going to be reading a personal story that I wrote. And then Ooh. we're going to tell you... <laughs> What we're going to be watching for the final stretch of our little Spooktober event. Yeah, I'm super excited to to give the last of that list and and, and knock these ones out. Yeah, I'm st- excited to talk to you about your movies, and I'm excited to talk to you about the ones that I watched, too, for this week. But before we do any of that, we decided to incorporate a new segment. Yeah. I recently purchased Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition, so we are going to... Read these to each other. Okay, so the question I'm going to ask you is the orange wedge. Here we go. What actress portrayed the titular Emily Rose in The Exorcism of Emily Rose from 2005? Hmm, I actually don't remember this one. I'll give you a hint. It was one of the main actresses from Dexter. Um shoot, uh Jennifer Carpenter. Yes, yeah. that is correct. All right. <laughs> In what Halloween film, 1978 to 1989, does antagonist Michael Myers not appear? Oh, that's perfect. That would be Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. It is indeed. And oh. apparently it's the only the only one in the entire series that does not feature him, including the remakes. Yes, but I guess technically that's not true because he does appear on TV. That doesn't <laughs> count. That doesn't count. That concludes our brief trivia segment. If you want to send us some trivia and try to stump us with some, then feel free to send those over and we will try to answer them. Let's jump into our discussions. I watched four this week, so So should I go first? Yep, you're leading off. Okay. The first one that I watched was a Cronenberg movie, so my second one this month, called Videodrome. Mm. And Videodrome is about a man who owns like a rogue broadcasting station and they play... Real sexy stuff and real violent stuff. Ooh. Yes. And Risque. <laughs> at the time, it was. And he comes across a stream called Videodrome. And they record it onto a VHS, so that dates the movie for you. <laughs> and then weird stuff starts happening. I didn't know what to expect. I had been wanting to see this one for a very long time. I've heard great things. And I was not disappointed. It starts off a little slower, but once it starts going, it is weird. <laughs> weird is good. I mean, and, and it's Cronenberg. Cronenberg is the king of weird. Yeah, exactly. And there's some stuff. I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I have to tell you about this. This guy gets a, like a small rash on his stomach, and eventually it turns into a giant gash, and he like puts stuff in there. So at one point, he gets a videotape and puts the videotape into his gash. What? <laughs> it's Yeah, it's weird. And it's about, like, hallucinating and all kinds of other stuff. And so then he doesn't know what's real. We don't know what's real. And it's kind of the psychological thing. And it it legit looks like he's reaching into his stomach. Jeez. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, we, were, we were talking about that scene from Annihilation a few weeks ago. Yeah. And it, it just... Kind of reminds me of that, just kind of like that icky feeling you get. No, definitely. It was cringeworthy, to say the least. But what I thought was really cool is with the last Cronenberg movie I watched, Rabid, he, I almost feel like he's prolific in a way because that was at a time when plastic surgery wasn't as popular as it is now. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, these are the horrors of this thing. This is what could happen, or this is what the future is going to hold if we head in this direction. Yeah. Obviously. In a more extreme manner, but his social commentary, I feel like, became relevant. Yeah. And now this is about what's going to happen with our minds if we watch all this violence and all this sex and all this weird stuff. And what's going to happen if we stay glued to these TV screens. And we totally are. And there's been accounts of stuff like that that's going on. I, I listened to a podcast the other day that talked about a kid engaging in violent acts after watching Rob Zombie's Halloween movie three times. Mm. And so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And for me, I was making those connections while I was watching it. And so maybe that's why I enjoyed that movie so much because it was early. And he was telling you, like, hey, we can go down a dark path. Yeah. It reminded me of a more gruesome Black Mirror episode. Mm -hmm. I know with 
the current outlook as far as media is concerned today, there's kind of a there's two schools of thought. It's either you know these things have an adverse effect and it will cause people to act out, or it doesn't. And those people who are acting out have other reasons why they are. But I think that the takeaway is that if you're susceptible to those things, that if you watch a ridiculous amount or you play a ridiculous amount, that they may have an effect on how you live your life. And I think that that's an interesting concept, especially how long ago that was. And I think it's cool to to explore those ideas where I know people will sometimes beat down on horror saying that it's schlock almost in a way. Mm. But there's a lot to it. And I think it's stuff like that, like the Cronenberg stuff, or like with Get Out, or It Follows, and The Babadook, where it's more than just for scares or for yeah. chills or whatever. Well, that's it for me for video, Jim. You want to talk about your first one? Yeah. So the so as you guys remember from the last week's episode, I chose to do movies from some of my favorite horror directors that I hadn't seen. So maybe some small, shameful misses on my track record. So the first one that I picked was from Carpenter, and I didn't get a chance to see The Fog until this week. This one I had some decent expectations for, and I feel like they weren't met. I'll kind of dig into why I feel that way. As far as this movie is concerned, it's very slow-paced. It feels like it meanders in almost all of the shots. The actual, like, the... The villains, you know, the the ghost pirates or zombie pirates, whatever you want to call them, they are interesting and they're done really well in the fog itself, especially for the time period. The effect of the fog was super cool and they could have done a whole lot more with it, but it just felt like it was in equal measures too slow and too short, <laughs> which is it's, – it's a pretty hard mark to hit. I feel like they – they hung around in shots for way too long. They didn't develop any of their characters, and it just ended abruptly. You just went from there were a couple of kills, and you just ended at this one point, and it just didn't feel like anything was flushed out, and we didn't really get to know the characters at all. It's been a while since I've seen it, and maybe some of the audience hasn't. What's briefly, what's the plot? There's this town, and it exists along the coast. Uh, I'm not sure what the title of the town is. But it's in California. Uh, There's a lighthouse, and it has, like, it's been taken over by this woman who does, like, a local radio show. This town is celebrating its centennial anniversary. A hundred years previous, there was this group of six people that did wrong to this group of pirates, basically, and caused them to come ashore and start trying to attack people a hundred years later. The whole concept is that they're trying to find six people to kill in order to basically wipe the deck clean and go away for a while. It's not super difficult and over the top, but it takes a really long time to get you there. Now, it's hard to not compare it to something like Halloween, where there is a very slow burn. Mm -hmm. I think Michael Myers doesn't even kill anybody for at least an hour of that movie, close to anyway, after the initial intro. But you're saying with this one, the tension just didn't build like that? Not as well as it could have. Okay. There, like I said, there are definitely parts of this movie that make a lot of sense. I actually I enjoyed the music quite a bit. John Carpenter is known for kind of making that slow burn type movie. The Thing is a great example of that. There's, it's not something where you know exactly what's going to happen and it's moving quickly. It's like it's very tense and it builds. It takes the time to build that drama, but it also builds the characters. It builds the world around it. This one built some of the world and left kind of the characters out of things. I mean, you have Jamie Lee Curtis and you barely know anything about her character other than that she's a hitchhiker. You have the Scream Queen. You literally have (laughs) the most well-known horror actress of all time and you're squandering her. I want to see them dig into those characters a little bit more. I mean, even if it means adding another 15 minutes of runtime, make the characters believable and compelling for me to want to sit down and watch the whole movie. You know, because the ending itself's not really that bad. It just feels like it comes out of left field and there's no setup. <laughs> I would recommend it for early special and visual effects. Okay. Like I said, the music is actually really good. It's just it's it's tough because, like I said, they didn't build something that was that you felt like was worth watching. Like I said, I, I got to the end of it and I was like, ah, this was kind of lame. Would you say it's lower than for you as far as Carpenter films go? Yes, probably not the lowest, but it's not. It's definitely nowhere near the thing, nowhere near Halloween. It's, it's like I said, it's towards the bottom of the list. <laughs> How do you feel now that 
are you more disappointed because it was something maybe that you were like, oh, it's Carpenter, I'm going to love it, and you were a little bit let down, sounds like. Yes, I think that there's a potential that I might have enjoyed it more had I not gone in expecting, you know, a not a masterpiece, but, you know, something that's at least a serviceable work by John Carpenter. And I didn't get that, and that was the part that hurt the most. You know, I probably could have overlooked some of the flaws maybe if it hadn't been something where like I oh I looked on Rotten Tomatoes and it's got a 71% overall and it's like that's pretty solid for a horror movie you know I was expecting more and I just didn't get it that's kind of how I felt when I watched that Wes Craven movie My Soul to Take yeah huge Scream fan as you know a big Wes Craven fan in general it's been a while since I've seen it I watched it in theaters and that movie came out in 2010 yeah so I would be interested to revisit it to see how I feel, but at the time I remember being very let down, kind of similar to how you're feeling. With Wes Craven, especially later in his life, you know, rest in peace, it was a really interesting kind of, like, dichotomy of things. It was the things that he made to make sure that he could make the last thing he wanted to make. You know, he wanted to put a good bookend on Scream. I feel like that was probably his prime directive, and so maybe if he made a couple movies that weren't necessarily up to his visionary par, then... It is what it is. I think it's difficult, too, for uh, some of the older directors that we grew up with because horror changes so much. You know, the slashers aren't – like, now slashers aren't really in as much as they were. And that's what they that's what they did. Yeah, for Or, like, sure. the science fiction stuff, like, with the thing. And now horror has become a lot more psychological, I think you could say. Yeah, definitely. And, At least all of the successful ones. Yeah. And so that changes the game, and so they – I guess might not have the same feel for it as they once did. Mm -hmm. The next movie that I watched was on Netflix and it was called Apostle. And again, it's by the guy that did the raid movies, like I mentioned last week and stars Dan Stevens. Briefly, this one is about a guy, Dan Stevens character who goes to a cult Mm -hmm. that his sister has been kidnapped by and is being held ransom. Mm -hmm. He goes in to infiltrate them and not pay the ransom. And then it kind of unfolds from there. I don't want to give away anything because this movie is weird. It has some twists, some turns, and the trailer, watching it after I've seen the movie, does give away quite a bit, so I would not recommend watching it. It's pretty slow as far as the setup goes. But I never felt bored at any point. I was interested in what was going on. The characters were developing. You were getting backstory and creepy stuff here and there. It wasn't scary. Mm -hmm. But there was definitely some horrific stuff happening and some pretty gruesome stuff. There was a couple times when I was worried they were going to show something pretty gnarly. And then they didn't. Mm-hmm. And then other times I thought they were going to stray away from it, and then they showed it. Oh. So that was cool. So it kind of plays with your mind a little bit, yeah. Yeah, because they get really close to showing you stuff, and then we'll cut away. And then other times it just happens. And I was like, wow, that was cool. There's a particularly good scene with, like, a uh, meat grinder, I mm. guess. <laughs> but it is a period piece, which I really like, similar to The Witch, not as dated. Yeah. But that same vein. It looks gorgeous. Netflix is releasing stuff in 4K, and it's... I get stuck sometimes just looking at it and not paying attention at what's going on. <laughs> yeah, Michael Sheen's also in it. I'm not super familiar with his work. I know he was in the Twilight movies. Yeah, and was really goofy in those. He was also in Thirty Rock. Was he? Yeah, he was a uh, one of was... Liz's boyfriends. Yep. Okay. So to see him do something not silly or whimsical, he's very serious, mm-hmm. and he's the leader of the group. He he killed it, man. I would focus on him anytime he was on screen, even though Dan Stevens was the star. I was looking at Michael Sheen. He, I thought he did great. It does get a little graphic, so if you aren't into too much gore, I probably wouldn't get into it. But my probably favorite thing about it was the music. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but it's real, like, string, stringy, I guess. <laughs> like, uh, like, string, like, like, like string uh, instrument heavy? Yeah. And it's weird, and it's like, sometimes they just pluck it, mm-hmm. and it's not too much, and it's not super intense, and it... But it helps build the tension in the movie. I was impressed. And it gets weird. And that's all I'm going to say about it because I don't want to give anything away. But it's probably it's good cool. to leave some of that out, yeah. 
if weird is your thing, which it is mine, so I'll probably check this out. You know, it it sounds like it's a really interesting watch, and I'm I'm excited to see it. Yes, slower burn, but in my opinion, it does pay off. Uh, so the next one on my list is another one that I was disappointed that I missed out on uh, from one of my favorite directors, Sam Raimi. Now, Sam Raimi is ridiculous. He's the <laughs> weirdest director that I've ever watched. And it's not necessarily that he does so many weird things. It's just he's quirky. He's very quirky. It's And so the movie that I watched was Drag Me to Hell. And it is the most Sam Raimi movie since Army of Darkness. It has a lot of that, like, 80s cheese and flair to it, <laughs> but kind of brought up to modern times with modern actors. And it was just, it was funny and compelling, and it just, it kept me glued onto the screen. It was gross some of the time. It was just whack, wackadoo. That scene so ridiculous. when the lady's jaws, like, on her and oh, slobbering. What she, oh, what so, like, not gore, but so gross. Yeah. It's just, so the premise for this movie is fairly simple. There's this gypsy woman who comes into a bank in order to try to get an extension on her mortgage. She's already gotten two extensions up to this point, and it's up to the loan officer whether or not she's going to give that extension or not. And so she chooses not to, and that's I don't think it's giving away too much. It happens really early on. And so from there... The old lady attacks her and then puts a gypsy curse on her. And it from there, it just escalates. The concept of this curse and the demon that surrounds it is bonkers. Just completely crazy, and I love it. It's definitely campy. Yeah, oh, it's so <laughs> campy. And it has, it has some pretty cool visual effects and stuff in it as well. They... I don't want to give too much, too much away about the opening because the opening shows that there are real stakes. But there is a scene where basically in this room, the gates of hell open up and it just looks super terrifying and really interesting. And like I said, the setup is, is terrifying and I loved it. Be prepared. It's Sam Raimi. There's a lot of Dutch angles. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of weird camera tilts and movements there's a lot of ridiculous, like, over-the-top, you know, like, flourishes and, like, you know, when things are successful, things, like, go a certain way that are, that are very Sam Raimi. There's a particular scene that I remember really liking where the protagonist is in her house mm -hmm. and the shadows sort of, like, creep in from the tree mm -hmm. and kind of go toward her. I thought that was really creepy and yeah. done very well. And yeah. It, Kind of reminded me of a throwback almost to Evil Dead, where the trees are attacking. It just It's something that, that Sam Raimi did to show that he still had it. <laughs> and he definitely does. Like It's weird, and like I said, it's incredibly Sam Raimi, but it is enjoyable. It makes campy fun and also still scary. And that was what he was known for. I mean, that's, that's what, what the Evil Dead movies brought to the table. And he's still capable of just... Just every once in a while, he'll rattle one of those out, and it's just like, all right, strap me in. I'm good to go. Whether or not he's randomly taking you know 10 years away from horror to do some Spider-Man movies or, <laughs> or what have you, he's still got that in the chamber, and it's stuff that comes just off the top of his head. It's not anything that's previously written down in, in lore, at least not on a wider scale. You know, It might be slightly based in something. The ideas that he comes up with, I think he writes with his brother, correct? There's three of them, yeah. yes. Yeah, so the things that they're capable of coming up with and putting on screen are just bonkers in the best way. How did you feel about the goat? <laughs> and if you see this movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it was. it's very Sam Raimi. It is, <laughs> like, it's the most Sam Raimi thing he's done in a long time. But, man, it, it throws you off guard. It's, I don't want to, I mean... Should we say what happens? No, that's right. I just want to know how you felt about it. I, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed out loud. There were several times in this movie where I just I couldn't stop myself from laughing. Or I'd have to pause it so I didn't miss anything. So that way I could finish laughing and then continue. <laughs> yeah, this one had a lot of gross out stuff. 
not necessarily like your typical gore fare, but like it's not for emetophobes. If you're not into like pukey stuff or like things being spit into other people's mouths or <laughs> <laughs> like uh, stuff like that, then this might be one to avoid. But if you are in any way, shape, or form into Sam Raimi, this is a tour de force from him. But it's a PG-13 horror movie, mm-hmm. and a lot of times those aren't good Yeah, by nature. Yeah, and so they, I think the reason why they were able to get away with that is that they chose to go with gross and not with gore. Yeah. And if they had gone the other route, it would have been a different story. And they didn't choose to do – there's nothing sexual about this movie at all. I mean it's it's – like there's not a single component where you're like, oh yeah, that's nice. Like yeah. it's it's pretty gross most of the time. Next up for me is gonna be a movie called Transfiguration. This one is also streaming on Netflix. I added a bunch of movies to my list based off doing some research about what was good on Netflix without looking at what the movies were about. So Mm -hmm. I went into a lot of these blind. So Transfiguration is about a young young boy, and he has an affinity for vampires. He lives in, I'd say, the slums, and so he has kind of a tough life. And the movie is very vague about whether or not he is a vampire Mm -hmm. or if he just loves vampires. Stuff happens... That leans in both directions. And even the ending is ambiguous. So you're not totally sure the whole time. And so you see him start to kind of develop and come into his own. But you never get confirmation one way or the other. Hmm, That's interesting. And it plays with it because he talks about the vampire rules. Maybe they can go out in the day. And he talks about, oh, I think that's all made up stuff. And takes a lot of jabs at Twilight. Yeah. (laughs) At one point, it blatantly says, it sucked. (laughs) But what it reminded me of, and it's a movie that we had mentioned before, was Let the Right One In. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it even mentions Let the Right One In in this film. And it has that vibe where it's not a vampire killing movie. It's not a vampire as a monster. It's a vampire as a character. Yes, exactly. Where you're getting... The story of this person who may or may not be a vampire. Mm. And there's so many references to other vampire movies, it's crazy. He just has a stack of videotapes. They go watch Nosferatu. Oh, nice. He talks about all kinds of different horror movies, specifically vampire movies in the film. And it's pretty cool. It's just, it's slow. It's almost not a horror movie outside of the killing and the fact that it may or may not be a vampire movie. It's just a story. It's just a character story. It's not plot-driven in any way. It's more just character-driven. It's similar in idea to something like Boyhood, where it's just you're in the life of this person mm. going through the day-to-day stuff. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I would check it out. I think that you'd probably like it. It's not in your face or anything, mm-hmm. but it doesn't ever pretend like it's going to be. And so that's cool. And there's some pretty good deaths in it, if that's your thing. The blood's not too intense surprising for it being a vampire movie. But I would definitely recommend it to anybody that's into those slower horror films. I thought it did a good job keeping things interesting throughout and adding points to the to the plot to make the characters keep going. Yeah, so the final one on my list for this week was probably one of my most shameful misses. This one is really high on that list for me. So up until this week, I hadn't seen Scream 4, which is disappointing. I'm disappointed in myself. It was something that it was. I wanted to see it when it came out in theaters, and I just never got around to it. And then just other things happened, and it fell by the wayside. So I thought, what better an opportunity than now to just knock it out, get it out of the way? And it's Wes Craven, and it was one of his last outings. And his, his last. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't 100% certain of that if he hadn't had anything that he had like helped work on or anything like uh, that in okay, his waning yeah. years. But if Scream 4 was the way he went out, he went out with a bang. That movie gets a bad rap, I feel like. It's definitely better than Scream 3. It's still not the original. The original is 
is a cinema masterpiece. It's untouchable. It has the right blend of camp, the right blend of meta, and the right blend of genuine horror. And it just it so playfully bounces between those three things that it's just so entertaining to watch. This has a lot of that. You know, it still keeps that playful bounce between those three things and gives it a little bit more of an even more modern like edge to it. And the acting performances were actually pretty stellar. Uh, Sydney's been around the block a few times, so <laughs> it's you don't see Nev Campbell in a lot of things now. For the most part, she kind of keeps herself off the radar. But I mean, when when old Uncle Wes calls and says, "I've got another movie," <laughs> uh, you you answer the phone. You know, that's yeah. just how it goes. It has all of those those little things that Wes Craven does so well. I love the way that they opened it. They show you two different openings for like way later into the series stab releases just back to back and one of them actually has the other one inside of it and it's just it's so meta and over the top and funny and i i just i loved it and it wasn't something where i was like taken away from the immersion at any point in time due to any of the little flaws it there were some parts of it that i felt were a little predictable for me personally the person who ends up being Ghostface at the end, I saw it coming, but it was still entertaining. And the turn, once you get past that point and it's revealed, is a masterclass. Like, yeah, that movie takes off after that, which you wouldn't. Yeah, you would not expect. Because, I mean, in the original Scream, that's the end. That's, you know, yeah. when you figure out who it is, there's that, that iconic interaction, and that's it. This one... There's so much more left on, on on screen for you to watch after that point, and it's just so interesting. It's almost like they wanted to play homage to Billy and Stu a little bit, where they have a similar idea, and then it's like, well, what's next for that? Yeah. And it's great. And like you said, super meta, they make fun of themselves constantly mm-hmm. in that movie. They even talk about remakes and the problem with that. Yeah. And Sydney has a line that I will not say, but toward the end, when she's talking about the first rule of remakes. Yeah. And which, I, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it, and it's applicable. Like if you if if you watch that movie and you don't feel for that line, like it's so the truth. I do like it more than I like Scream Three. Mm-hmm. That's probably my least favorite. What I think Scream Four lacked was it wasn't scary no and it's because even though they tried to layer it they tried to add additional like they like like oh here's a fake out fake out fake out then there's the scare it didn't have that same punch like i said when you aren't expecting it to come and scream one and they give you a fake out and then hit you with the punch yeah it's it hurts you you don't see it coming but because you've seen three of those movies now you see them coming, even if they fake you out three or four times in a row. You're like, okay, well, one of these is going to be the real deal. And then when it comes, you're not, you're not scared. That being said, if you are susceptible to being scared, my wife jumped several times and she's seen the movie already. <laughs> so it's, there's still some left on the bone. Like I said, if you're susceptible to jump scares, there are a few of them. Uh, it wasn't super scary for me, but I just love how Wes Craven it was. Part of it is, like, with Freddy, you root for Freddy. Mm -hmm. Freddy becomes the protagonist in a way. (laughs) Yeah. You know, at no point are you ever really connecting with Ghostface. Like, he might be rooting for him to kill, more or less, but he doesn't have the same personality that someone like Freddy has, where he's all personality. Well, I mean, and and it's a different different scenario, though, too, with Freddy. Freddy is Freddy. There's no worry about Freddy being everyone. You live in Woodsboro... Anybody could be Ghostface. That's just the long and the short of it. You don't know. You don't know where it's coming from. That makes it someone you can't root for because you don't know their motivations. You just know that they're out there and they're bloodthirsty for some reason. And in every movie, they give you a different reason and a different actual villain who's behind the mask. But up to that point, in the majority of cases, they weren't a villain to start with, at least not how you were watching it. They were, you know, they were a person and that person sometimes would show tendencies that would make you think Ghostface, and then sometimes they would do things to throw you off the trail. 
or sometimes it would be multiple people. Like it's just it's it's a different concept. You root for the players. You don't root for the game in this yeah. one. But overall, would you say that you enjoyed it? Yes, definitely. If you had to rank all four, <laughs> all four, like I said, it's definitely for me. It's going to be one, two, four, three. Okay. I know that a lot of people will probably say two, one, four, three, but. I have always been a huge advocate for Scream 1. Mm-hmm. I watched that movie at least once a year, if not more. But last year, I watched Scream 2 for the first time in a while. Mm. And holy cow, that movie is fantastic, man. It, it, it's it, a great movie. And, and when I say that I like one more than two, it's by a tiny hair. Those movies are are pretty much the same level for me. It's just I saw one first. Yeah. One was the first movie to jump into that foray of lampooning horror while also making a compelling horror story. And we'll have to do a Scream episode. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> so we'll, we'll sit down and we'll watch all four and maybe we'll watch a couple episodes of the show too and just talk about, hey, 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 you can't, you can't look away from the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> all right, cool, man. Then that brings us to the last one that we're going to be talking about today, which was me watching, and that one was called The Dark Song. So what The Dark Song is, is a movie about a woman who hires a guy to help her perform a ritual where she can meet her guardian angel, ask him for a favor, or her for a favor, it for a favor, and then also speak with her son who has died. The how he died is revealed later. And so they these people move into this house and start doing all these weird rituals. It's very slow. But the first act gives you enough where it keeps you interesting. The setup is very interesting because they're doing it. You don't really know what's going on as a viewer. And they start going slowly and they start setting everything up and getting into the ritual stuff. And they start performing it. And you're kind of seeing, is this guy a phony? Is this really going to work? What's going to happen? What's next? The second act continues that for too long. For me, anyway. Mm -hmm. It slows down, and they keep doing it. And then they keep doing it. And they're still doing ritualistic stuff. And still trying to perform this stuff. And so I got a little bit bored. It was hard to keep focus on it. And then the third act... Stuff picks back up, and then it gets going. It doesn't take off, but it builds. And then the ending is weird. <laughs> and that's the only time that it really gets scary is toward the end. I wouldn't say that I was disappointed because I didn't have any expectations. This is another one where I had no idea what it was going in. But I don't feel like the ending paid off for the buildup for mm-hmm. me. There's a lot of concepts in the movie that they talk about, about being pure and how to get there. And so it's, it's really weird, and it's fun, and the acting is great. The guy, it's mostly just one guy and one girl. They're doing a great job. There's a particular scene, someone gets impaled by something <laughs> without giving too much away, mm-hmm. and it it looks legit. It looks gross. Yeah. Now, it was pretty uh, cringeworthy. Yeah, and if, um, uh, just to kind of a... Kind of a trigger warning there. If you uh, if you have any issues with any kind of like sexual misconduct or sexual assault, there is a small scene that does depict some sexual misconduct. Yeah. Uh, so prepare for that. It's not gratuitous and it's not over the top, but it's there. If it's something that potentially would turn you away from watching something, then maybe avoid this one. The concept is interesting. But you're you're correct. It it does the the pace in the center is is a little little off. Yeah, they could have cut out some of the things that they did to pad that length. Yeah, or to I'm, beef up the end. But there's a part where everything's really gray and dirty and gross. I thought yeah. the ending was cool. A little bit unexpected. Some mm-hmm. stuff that happens. It's very like an emotional horror movie. Mm-hmm. Well, this one definitely has that kind of Black Mirror feel to it a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. It's like we were talking about last week where it's like new horror, now with crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now with 27% more crying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I felt where it's got the spooky elements, but there's so much emotion into it. And I enjoyed that. So that concludes our 
discussion for the movies that we picked for the previous week. So Anthony's going to read a short story that he wrote, and then we're going to give you the movies for uh, the last week of October. This one is called When a Baby Cries. Afloat on a yellow raft, Tom searched for land. Salt laced his tongue as he looked at the endless sea of waves in front of him and stars hanging above him, glowing in the dark. The moon was high and smiled down like a Cheshire cat ready to play tricks. Wait, how did I get here? Last thing I remember, I was getting ready for bed and then... Before Tom finished his thought, land seemed to appear out of nowhere. His arms stretched to either side of the inflatable. He paddled. Only his palms reached the sea below as he made his way forward. Sweat beaded across his pale forehead, dripping salt into his sleepless blue eyes. Reaching the beach, Tom stumbled to his feet. He panted with every step he made in the surf. Once past the ebb and flow, he threw himself down onto dry, rough sand. A shrill cry came from elsewhere along the shore. Jolted, his instinct drew him toward the sound, leaving a soaking, lifeless impression in his wake. A shadow of himself. Is that a baby? Why would a baby be out here? Especially this late. It has to be after ten. Maybe it's not a baby then. No, it can't be. That doesn't make any sense. None of this does. Tom's tired, aching feet urged him forward. With every step, the wailing grew louder. As he approached, he became more certain what he was hearing was a baby. A wary wicker basket appeared on the beach as the source of the sound. Tom reached the noise and squatted in front of the crier's cradle. In the seconds it took for his hand to reach the basket, Tom's heart became a rattling tail of an excited dog. Unsure if it was from running, from the fear of what he might find, or from the terrifying thought of how and why this child came to be here. Come on, Tom, he recited to himself as clammy hands inched closer to what lie inside. As his dirty, rough fingers opened the moss-colored sheet, a shrieking, eyeless face sprang forward, flinging itself toward Tom like some twisted Twilight Zone jack-in-the-box. Tom flew back. He gasped. His feet fell out from under him. His back hit hard in the sand. The last of his breath evacuated his lungs. His head followed his body and slammed onto the sand. Tom's eyes flung open as he bolted upright in his bed. Beads of sweat pooled atop his forehead, lacing his blonde eyebrow with salty pearls. Purple crescents surrounded his groggy blue eyes, encrusted with remnants of the day before, like fragments of subsoil around a lake. He panted, following the nightmare he awoke from, his chest burning as if the thin ocean air had been real. He swung his bare legs out from his comforter and onto the tan carpet. Sitting a minute, he rubbed his palms across his stubbled face before looking toward his clock, which read 4 a.m. On his oak nightstand sat an empty glass. Damn, he thought, parched and dehydrated from the perspiration, which now soaked his white shirt. As he made his way to the kitchen, a story below, he stopped at his dresser for a new shirt. That's when he heard it. The wails of a baby. Tom froze, fingers resting on the brass knobs of the dresser drawer. As if he stepped into ice-cold water, horripilation crept over his body. No, 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 no way. He attempted to convince himself. He began counting each quickened breath he took. One, two, three, until he got to ten, listening for the cries. Nothing. Relieved, he let out a breath. Ready for a new shirt and a glass of water. Oh, wah, wah, wah. Cries came once more. This time, Tom was certain of what he had heard. He looked out of his bedroom window, which faced the front of his canary home. His heart drummed in his ear like a butcher beating a raw animal flesh, horrified of what he might find as he peered through the blinds. Pushing them aside, Tom looked down. His yard was illuminated by the motion-detecting light hanging above the driveway. Palms brimmed with sweat. The length downward felt infinite. Vision blurred. Heat filled his head and the back of his neck behind his ears. Wah! 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 There it was again. Holy cow, what's going on? Tom thought as he ran down the stairs, hardly able to grip the rail for balance. He reached the front door. The cries grew louder. Through the peephole, he focused his gaze on the porch. The light had since gone out. With breath held, he made out the shape resting on the bottom cement step. A baby. Wrapped in blankets, inside a basket, wailing. Tom turned the deadbolt, 
unable to hear the clicking with his heart pounding in his ears, his blood rushing through him. Hand tremorous, he reached for the doorknob. Outside, Tom shivered. Bending forward, he glanced side to side down the dormant street. He reached for the now quiet child, forgetting the monster that sprang out from his dreams. It felt light in his hand, baby in arms, and bewildered. He unwrapped the blanket. Inside it wasn't a monster, but it wasn't a baby. It was something else. Tom stopped breathing. Unnerved, he again scanned the street. He began to gasp. His side began to throb. Still clutching the contents of the basket, Tom reached around his side, retrieving his hand to find warm vermilion coating his fingers. Blood flowed from an open wound. A hot flash of white pain entered the side of his lower back again, and again, and again, red pouring out in droves. Unable to stand any longer, Tom made his way to the ground. Sounds slowly slipped away from him. The last thing he heard were cries dissolving into the distance, mimicking his own. As he fell, he saw a figure between himself and the bushes next to the porch. It was holding a blade with droplets of Tom overrunning its tip. It watched as a plastic doll with a speaker in its chest lay on the pavement next to Tom, both lifeless. So what do you think? Uh, I thought it was uh, really, really enjoyable. I love the way that you build tension and how the two scenes almost kind of flow together in a way. It was just, it was really, really incredible. I mean, uh, what was your inspiration for writing that? So that's a weird story. But when I was a kid, either a preteen or a teenager, I had a friend and she told me a story like that. That she was like, yeah, I think some guy would like make babies cry and have people like come outside. I don't know if there was any truth to what she told me or if it was just like one of those suburban legends, you know what I mean? But for some reason, her saying that has stuck with me for, it's been over 10 years now since Damn. she mentioned that. Yeah. And so finally one day I was like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this. Yeah. So I never looked up if there was any truth to what she was saying. I just wrote a story based off this little tidbit she told me. It's like a Bloody Mary thing. And I just wrote about it when I was growing up, my parents' house. My bedroom window was the front of the house, mm -hmm. and I would always hear stuff going outside. And I was always very scared by that because you never know what it is. And then yeah. when you go to look, the street's so long, you can't see anything. And we had steps on our porch and bushes by our front door, very similar to <laughs> the story. And so, you know, when you're younger, you go outside, see what's going on. If you do, or just in general, even walking up. When I used to come home late as like a teenager, I would always – quickly walk past those bushes to get to the door and get inside because you never know yeah and i watch too many horror movies <laughs> well thanks for everyone for listening to that story if you have any horror stories of your own feel free to send them to us you can reach us by email at wordsforweirdos at gmail.com and you can check us out on instagram that's words for weirdos and we also have a website that encompasses the podcast itself also where that story is housed, and that is wordsforweirdos.com. And if you want the podcast, that would be slash porcelain peak. Before we go, John and I are going to give you our list of movies that we're going to be watching daily next week. All right, John, what do you got up? If you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know that I've been doing things week to week in theme format. So uh, the theme that I picked for this week is going to be modern classics so my concept for this is essentially movies that i feel like people will watch in the future on halloween like how on halloween we watch things like trick-or-treat or halloween or yeah. you know friday <laughs> the 13th you know yeah, like the like the the big the big time movies you know and i feel like there are movies that have come out recently that will potentially be on that list so i wanted to revisit some of them or see some of them for the first time if i missed them in order to kind of rate their worthiness of being on that uh, in that group. The first one on my list is one that I've seen before. I've seen it a couple of times, and it's one that I'm really interested to revisit in this kind of a light, is The Cabin in the Woods. Oh, okay, the Joss Whedon one? Yeah. Very interesting movie, but like I said, we'll dig in and we'll talk about that a little bit more. One that I missed that did really well critically and I feel like it has uh, it had an interesting concept to it, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. Was your next? Yeah, so I'll watch that one as well. I haven't seen that one since it was in theaters, so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. Another one that I feel like is very popular, but it has kind of a weird, like it has a weird relationship for a lot of different people is the Babadook. 
Oh, and I'd okay. like I'd like an opportunity to kind of you know discuss that one at a little more length. And the final one that I wanted to do is probably probably the I'd say the biggest the biggest non like remake horror release of the last like decade, The Conjuring. Okay. Yeah, The Conjuring is a massive movie. It's created a franchise up to this point. I feel like it's a perfect time, especially considering we just got a Conjuring movie recently, and. Uh, spin-off movie from The Conjuring also recently, I feel like now's the perfect time to revisit the original. Which of those four have you not seen before? So I haven't seen The Babadook. Okay. And I haven't seen Your Next. Okay. So a half and half split. I think for the most part we can get these on streaming services. I know The Babadook is on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, famously uh, gay rights advocate, <laughs> The Babadook. Is it? You what do you mean? So this was kind of a a mistake. So... During last year's Pride, yeah, they had an entire month where they had like a Pride section. Okay. And accidentally, through a coding mistake, the Babadook ended up on the list of gay Pride <laughs> movies. And so now it's this huge thing where the Babadook is a, is a character that they use on Pride weekends for like picket signs and stuff like that. It's very interesting that this character has now become a gay icon, but it totally is. But he's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's cool. Own it. But yeah, so like I said, I, the one that I'm probably the most excited to talk about is The Cabin in the Woods. It's one of my one of my more recent favorites. So I'm really excited to break that one down because there's so much in that movie. I uh, have mixed feelings about it, so I'll be interested to hear your that's, opinion about it. That's surprising. That's surprising <laughs> to me. All right, so I'm going to be watching a movie called Afflicted, and that one is going to be on Amazon Prime. The next one I'm going to watch is Emily, and that one is on Netflix. And the last movie that I will be watching for next week is The Houses That October Built 2, and that one is on Hulu. So I already mentioned the places that you can reach us, but we would like to invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We are still in that critical time where the more momentum we get now the higher we get on those itunes charts and get available to more people so we would really appreciate those and again if you do do that then we will give you shout outs so please feel free to do that for us we'd really appreciate it and as always thank you for listening we'll see you next week take it easy a hyperforge alpha network production